Imagine, if you will, a podcast. A podcast beyond that which is known to man. It exists in both fandom and discovery, in viewing and critiquing. My name is Matt Hurt. This is Anthology. Hello and welcome to Anthology, presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. If this is your first time listening, Anthology is a podcast exploring science fiction anthology storytelling during television's first golden age, beginning with The Twilight Zone. Each podcast, I share my thoughts on an episode of this iconic series as a first-time viewer, as well as share some trivia about the episode. I then end each podcast with a bonus review of a movie or show related to the week's episode. For more of Anthology, go to anthologypod.com, and if you want to contact me, you can do that on the Facebook page at facebook.com slash anthologypod. You can tweet me at obsessiveviewer, send an email to matt at obsessiveviewer.com, or call and leave me a voicemail at 317-762-6099. And if you like what you hear and want to support the podcast, please head over to iTunes and leave a rating and review. The more ratings and reviews I get, the easier it will be for people to find the show in iTunes' search results. And if you wish to support Anthology with your wallet, there's a donate button on anthologypod.com and a link in the show notes of this episode. Every donation made using that donate button goes directly toward the fees to keep the podcast running. Finally, if you're in Indianapolis, my friends and I at The Obsessive Viewer are hosting an event on October 14th. It's the third annual Shocktober in Irvington, where we rent out the Irving Theater and screen short horror films from local filmmakers. We also interview the filmmakers between each screening and raffle off DVDs, Blu-rays, and gift cards to local businesses. All the proceeds go right to the Irvington Historical Society and help support a great community in Indianapolis. And as a bonus for anthology listeners, you can get $1 off the price of admission by using the promo code PODCAST2 when you buy your tickets. And if you can't make it, but you still want to donate to the Historical Society, uh, you can do that on the link to buy tickets um, that can be found at shocktoberinirvington.com. On this week's episode of Anthology, I'll be discussing Long Live Walter Jameson. It's the 24th episode of The Twilight Zone's first season, and it aired March 18th, 1960 on CBS. And based on the recommendation of listener Greg, uh, for this week's bonus review, I'll be sharing my thoughts on Tithonus, an episode of The X-Files' sixth season that aired on January 24th, 1999. And speaking of Greg, he actually emailed in in response to last week's episode reviewing A World of Difference. Um, and I'll go ahead and read that email. Um, if you guys remember, last week on the podcast, I uh, referenced or I, I mentioned a theory that maybe maybe the goings-on um, in A World of Difference were was due to um, doppelgangers like the ones that were um, in mirror image. So, uh, Greg writes, or how about Jerry's doppelganger found his way into Jerry's world, ran amok and then left Jerry to clean up the mess. Maybe the drunkenness and delinquency are not Jerry's doing, but his doppelgangers. In fact, while Jerry's doppelganger was destroying Jerry's reputation and threatening his livelihood, Jerry was off playing the role of Arthur Curtis, the doppelganger having erased all of Jerry's memories of his former life. 
as far as Jerry was concerned, his new life as Arthur Curtis was his life all along, and so he didn't protest. The doppelganger, though, at some point tired of being Jerry and deciding the deciding to return to the world uh, that real Jerry now occupied. Only real Jerry had no memory of his world because the doppelganger neglected to restore to him his memories. So you can imagine Jerry's shock having to deal with the shrew and fed-up studio bosses the doppelganger wrought. Jerry though, Jerry, though, gets even without any awareness of it, of course. He somehow finds his way back to and back into the world he now thinks is his own, sending the doppelganger to the world he fled and the mess he will now rightfully have to confront. That's a very, a very uh, unique perspective on it, and that's that's a really good uh, way to to run with the idea of uh, doppelgangers, like in Mirror Image, and attributing in uh, wow, and attributing oh my god, <laughs> and attributing it to this episode, um, and and really clever, and I think that if you were to take this storyline and expand it into a longer, a longer narrative, um, with this, it could have been, could, it could be a really unique premise for, um, a movie or a longer episode or what have you. Uh, so thanks Greg. And also Greg wrote, um, have you seen that episode of black mirror called right white Christmas? And I, uh, he's, he says more, but I'm going to save that for, um, here in about a month or so. Cause I'm going to be doing, um, bonus episodes about, uh, Black Mirror. So I'm really looking, I'm really looking forward to doing those. So I'm going to get those, uh, going here soon. So you'll find out what Greg has to say about Black Mirror, uh, the, the Christmas special episode, White Christmas in the uh, weeks to come. So having said all of that, um, let's go ahead and talk about long live Walter Jameson. Um, as I said, it is, uh, it aired on March 18th, 1960. And of course, before I get to my thoughts on the sh- on the episode, I'm going to go ahead and read this plot summary. Uh, this week it's from Wikipedia because the Twilight Zone companion is in my bedroom and I'm lazy. And of course, this is going to be spoiler heavy. So if you haven't seen the episode, please, uh, go watch it and, uh, come back and, and listen. Walter Jameson, a college professor, is engaged to a young doctoral student named Susanna Kittridge. Susanna's father, Sam Kittridge, another professor at Jameson's college, becomes suspicious of Jameson because he does not appear to have aged in the 12 years they have known each other and seems to have unrealistically detailed knowledge of some pieces of history that do not appear in texts. Jameson at one point reads from an original Civil War diary in his possession. Later, Kittridge discovers the truth after re- after recognizing his future son-in-law in a Matthew Brady Civil War fro- photograph. Jameson had earlier denied having an ancestor in the war. Moreover, the man in the photograph has the same facial mole and wears the same ring as Jameson. Jameson also ultimately reveals his real-life history, which includes the fact that agelessness, but no kind of immunity to injury was imparted to him by an alchemist more than 2000 years ago. Jameson indicates that he is old enough to have known Plato personally. Jameson does not know what was done to him by the alchemist, only that the alchemist was, was gone when he recovered and he then stopped aging while everyone around him continued with normal living. Soon he had to leave and become a constant refugee. Kitridge 
asks Jameson to share his gift with him, but Jameson does not know how. Jameson tells Kitridge that even if he could share it with him, it would only make him immortal from that point forward. He asks, he asks Kitridge if he would want to be a 70-year-old man forever. Jameson tells Kitridge that he learned a terrible lesson from living for so long and reveals his desire to die. Jameson mentions that he keeps a revolver in his desk drawer but does not have the courage to use it. Kitridge soon realizes that if Jameson marries his daughter, she will grow old and Jameson will eventually abandon her in order to keep his secret. Kitridge then refuses permission for Jameson to marry his daughter. In spite of this, Jameson proposes to Susanna, and they plan to immediately elope. Unbeknownst to Jameson, he is being stalked by an elderly woman. She is Lorette Bowen one of his many wives and consorts through the years, whom he had abandoned when she grew old and frail while he remained young. She claims that she cannot allow Jameson to destroy another woman's life. She discovers Jameson's pistol lying on his desk and impulsively shoots him. Kitridge passes by Lorette as she is making her escape. When he enters Jameson's study, he finds Jameson bleeding but seemingly at peace. Soon, Jameson starts to rapidly age, Kitridge attempts to help, but nothing can be done, and Jameson collapses on the floor. Susanna enters the house, and Kitridge tries to stop her from seeing the aged Jameson, saying only that he is gone. He is unable to keep her out of the room, but once inside, she discovers only an empty suit of clothes with a white substance near the collar and sleeves. When Susanna asks what is on the floor, the professor replies, Dust, only dust. Okay, before I get to my thoughts on this episode, I'm going to go ahead and go... Uh, with a talent rundown. Long Live Walter Jameson stars Kevin McCarthy as Professor Walter Jameson. This was his only episode of The Twilight Zone. However, he was also in one episode of Way Out, the Roald Dahl anthology series. He appeared in 1961's The Overnight Case. And obviously he was most notably known for 1956, uh, the 1956 Invasion of the Body Snatchers. And he also had an appearance in the Twilight Zone movie and Inner Space from 1987. And kind of an interesting thing that I, I found first, he, um, this was, this was the second most talked about role that he was in that he always got, uh, mentions of. The, uh, first one being, of course, Invasion of the Body Snatchers. But on his DVD commentary for this episode, I thought that this was an interesting and, um, terrible piece of trivia about his childhood, but he talked a little bit about how his parents passed away when he was uh, about four and a half years old and that uh, he later ran away from what he referred to as a gruesome foster home and uh, in the hopes of finding like an orphanage. And it was, it was just really kind of crazy to, uh, to hear him talk about it in the DVD commentary for this episode. Co-starring in this episode as uh, Professor Sam Kittridge is Edgar Staley. Uh, this was his only episode of The Twilight Zone. He also appeared in four episodes of Tales of Tomorrow, including the episode What You Need, which I reviewed in episode seven of Anthology. And he also appeared in one episode of One, uh, of one Step Beyond in 1960's Goodbye, Grandpa. And he also had a part in the movie Seconds, which I reviewed in episode 12 of the podcast. He was uh, known as a, uh, a a character actor with a penchant for dialects. He was most famous on the radio as the voice of uh, scientist Dr. Uh, Hewer in the serial Buck Rogers in the 25th century. 
During the 1930s and 40s, he starred in many radio dramas, including Crime Doctor, Gangbusters, and Inner Sanctum. And on Broadway, he was best known for originating originating the role of Dr. Herman Einstein in Arsenic and Old Lace. Also appearing in this episode is Estelle Winwood as Lorette Bowen. Uh, this was her only episode of The Twilight Zone, and she uh, passed away in 1984 at the age of 101, actually. And rounding out the cast is Dodie Heath as Susanna Kittredge. This was her only episode of The Twilight Zone, but she also did appear in uh, the movie Seconds. Uh, and writer for this episode was Charles Beaumont. And uh this episode like knowing that is is pretty uh pretty pretty sad um when you consider his kind of tragic story um he had an early death um that was that was pretty shocking um he suffered from uh, i've said i've stated this previously but uh he suffered from a degenerative aging disease which gave him uh the appearance of an elderly man at the age of 38 and uh it was it was speculated that he was suffering simultaneously from Pick's disease and early onset Alzheimer's. And uh yeah, it just knowing that he wrote this episode, which at its at its heart is about uh mankind and immortality and and what it means to uh experience life, um knowing knowing what his uh life story was going to be uh after this is just just really uh really tragic puts a puts a dark twist on the episode director for this episode was anton leader this is his first of two episodes we'll next see his work in season three's episode the midnight sun uh, he also directed children of the damned in two episodes of lost in space and one episode of star trek so we've come to my feelings as a viewer on this episode of the Twilight Zone. Um, before before seeing this episode for the first time, I was only aware of the title "Long Live Walter Jameson," and I knew pretty much nothing else about it. And I just kind of assumed from the title that it had to do with uh, immortality. So I'll go ahead and pat myself on the back for knowing that. Um, so. As far as the plot is concerned, I thought this was a really good setup for the story. Like the 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 episode does a really good job of setting up the story. Um from the outset we see that Sam and Walter are both friends and like they have um a shared interest in uh Sam's daughter, Susanna, and what I what I love about it is that it humanizes the whatever conflict is there. It's not it's not a conflict that's born out of greed, hate, anger, or that type of antagonism. Um, the kind of central conflict is Sam wanting to know about Walter's immortality, um, partly because he wants to make sure that his daughter is marrying the right person, and also because he fears death and he wants to live forever as well. But the way this episode approaches that and the way that the characters approach it is in this realistic and respectful and intellectual way that I really, really appreciated. And I'll, I'll heap praise upon it 
throughout the rest of this uh, review, obviously, but I just, I loved that, that that's how we're introduced to the story. There's no like central uh, driving force of tension throughout the episode. It's, it's all this drama about this, this old man who is wanting to do right by his daughter and um, the man who is in love with the daughter. And at the, at the center is this mystery that builds up between them. And I really love the structure of this episode as well. It has like three separate like segments to the story, essentially. So it opens up with, um, the central mystery about Walter and, and, uh, it, and it's about Sam's probing to, to find information on it. And then it transitions into this philosophical debate and this conversation between the two men about what it means to be a human and what, what it means to have a finite lifespan and the implications of living forever. And then at the end, there's this, this bit of comeuppance that, that comes, that comes about somewhat suddenly. And I don't know with that, with that structure, it, it felt like I was watching a play or at least it, it lended itself a very theatrical feel. And I really respected that and appreciated that. So I'm going to kind of break down my thoughts on the plot through those three segments. So first I'm going to talk about the mystery and setting up Walter Jameson as a professor speaking so vividly about the Civil War, that gives this episode and gives us just a ton of information up front while still preserving the mystery. And it it's just, it's so great because it introduces us to Walter Jameson and introduces us to him as this charismatic professor person who speaks very eloquently and very vividly about a subject that he is obviously very interested in and introduces us to him as, as a, as a very popular professor and lecturer and introduces us to the friendship between him and Sam and introduces us to Sam's suspicions of him in in a way that doesn't convey what it is that he, that, that he's trying to uncover or what it is that, that Walter is trying to hide. And it also just gives us a a lot of information. It, It also hints at, I should say it also hints at, um, the relationship between Walter and Susanna. So all of that is just packed so neatly in this one opening scene. And I love the moment when Sam asks Walter if he can borrow the diary that Walter was reading from. And the, I feel like this subtext was, was there because most of this is unspoken, but maybe I'm reading into it. But on the one hand, it's it, Walter's response is because Walter is protective of his private journal and it's a piece of himself in his history. So obviously he's not going to loan it out. And on the other hand, I feel like he, maybe he knows that Sam is suspicious of him and that Sam is, is trying to dig for answers and, uh, could potentially compare the handwriting or what have you. But like I said, most of that is pretty unspoken, but I thought that it was a really good, um, uh, a really good piece of uh, storytelling to kind of um, pro- propel us into the scenes to come, and especially the the after dinner scene that I'll talk about um, next up, I guess. <laughs> so 
Sam has this pseudo interrogation of Walter that I found just so fantastic. Um, again, it's, it's this intellectual probing and it's not, it's not really a threatening thing because they're, they're colleagues. They respect one another. They're very, they're, they're friends. And I just, I can't get over it. This is such a smart way to deliver this plot because it grounds the episode in such a way that it makes it feel so authentic and makes this, this really out there premise of this immortal 2000 plus year old man. It makes it feel grounded in reality. And these characters have such human reactions to these things that the show could have easily been about this greedy man demanding to know the truth about how to become immortal. And maybe that would slip his uh, slip, uh, shut away his humanity and, 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 and in some big, big moment where he kills the immortal man or what, what have you. But in the context of this episode, the way that it all plays out, it's, it's such a better way. It's, it's 10 times more compelling. And, um, because, because if they would have gone that route, it would have just kind of clouded the message and, and been, just needlessly dramatic. So the way that it was written is just so great and so much better. And the, uh, the fact that they're playing a game of chess is, I mean, it's kind of, it's kind of an overt metaphor, but I thought that uh, that was a nice touch and it was a good piece of, uh, it was a great visual cue to usher us into, um, this philosophical debate that they have after, uh, Walter admits the truth. Um, so once once Walter admits the truth, there's a transition in the tone of the episode. It switches from the mystery to the more philosophical debate of of Sam and Walter, and it's set up so wonderfully because Sam is this this older guy who he wants to be immortal, and throughout their conversation, Walter explains to him why it is that men should not aspire toward immortality. And, and just, and just, they go through so many different avenues with this, with this conversation because Walter, Walter just asks him, uh, it's, it's such a beautiful piece of dialogue. And I, I apologize. I don't have it right in front of me, but when Walter asks Sam when he would want to stop aging, he asks 30 years old, 70 and just the way that he frames that scenario to Sam and the way he talks about seeing all of his loved ones grow old and die, it just brings so much depth and meaning to this episode. And it, I just, I loved it for this. I, I really did love, love it for this, uh, for this reason. And his words are kind of punctuated by the statement that he makes that, um, he says it's death that gives this world its point. And, that line is just so, so great. I, I loved, I loved everything about this conversation. And on the, on the, on the flip side of that, Sam asks, uh, Walter if, or he says that he would have thought that men would have gotten wiser with, with age. Like, like this man is 2000 years old. You would think that he would become wiser. And I thought it was really kind of poignant that Walter just says, you just go on living. And that's just, it, it comes from, it, it's dialogue that comes from a man who's tired. He's tired of aging. He's, he's just, 
he's setting the record straight for this guy who thinks that this situation that Walter has or, or this um, affliction, if you want to call it that, that Walter has is a gift rather than a curse. And I really like how upfront and honest Walter is with Sam overall. Um, throughout this entire episode, there's this mutual respect um, for the most part. Um, I'll get to that in a moment, but um, uh, there's this mutual respect throughout the episode and Walter, Walter even goes so far as to explain that he, he wanted to resign his post and move on to, uh, to spare Susanna um, because he could tell that Susanna was falling in love with him, but then he fell in love with her. And that, that alone, that, that's something that I, I loved about this episode because this guy is, like I said, he's, he's over 2000 years old. He's, he's immortal, but he's a man or, or, or he's a man with this supernatural quirk, ability, curse, whatever you want to call it, but he's still a human being. He still has the capacity to fall in love. It hasn't, it hasn't ripped away his humanity at all. Um, for the most part. And, I just I, I liked that bit of characterization. Um, Walter Jameson as a character is just a really well-rounded um, character. So having said all of that, um, the turn where he tells Susanna that he wants to marry her tonight, um, that's that's a little odd, or at the very least, it's purely po- uh, plot-driven. Um, I didn't mind it too much, but it just it really felt like it was added added solely into the story to get Walter out of Sam's house and back to his study and, uh, and to remind the audience of, of his relationship with Susanna for what's to come with the Lorette in the, uh, in the scene at the end. And I guess it serves that purpose. It does reinforce the relationship and, uh, and that does give Lorette's sudden appearance a lot more weight to it. But I don't know after, after seeing this, this, um, sort of play uh, play out um uh between Walter and Sam where these two are their two colleagues having a discussion and they're they're both you know they're friends um after going through all that it it still it felt like a middle finger to Sam <laughs> um after the episode so clearly paints the two as companionable colleagues and it's it's like he's literally stealing her away from Sam and it's it's kind of i don't know it kind of rubbed me the wrong way like i said it didn't it didn't i i didn't mind it too much but it it did feel a little plot convenient and a little out of character for what had been playing out up to that point so for the last act of the story or the last segment of the story we have Walter Jamison's comeuppance. And I hesitate to say comeuppance because he has been depicted as this kind of gentle or this gentle charismatic or what have you person. He's not very, he's not, he's not an evil person. He's still a human. He's, he's dealing with this curse that he has and he is, it, the worst I can say about him is that he's not regretful of the things he's done. He hasn't done anything overtly terrible to anyone. He's just left tons and tons of women to die alone, which is a really horrible thing, but it's also something out of necessity for his situation to avoid 
him having this conversation that um, he had on in this uh, in this night with Sam. So I guess it wouldn't really be his comeuppance so much as him coming of age, as it were. When it comes to Lorette's actions in the study at the end of the episode, I'm, I really like that they don't they don't necessarily come out of hatred or vengeance. Um, she's introduced and, and she has her whole um, expository dialogue where she where she explains what's happening. And I mean, it is out of hatred and and, and vengeance. I, I should retract that. Um, but it's framed in a way that she's been slighted by this man and she doesn't want to see the love of her life become the love of someone else's life. And And she feels cheated. She feels cheated that this man has, maybe she feels cheated. I don't know. Maybe I'm reading into that, but she feels cheated that this man has so many loves throughout his life and she wants him for herself. Um, so all that's to say that she's a murderer, plain and simple, but it's a crime of passion that's born from this pain that came from the circumstances of Walter Jameson's condition. And so it does come out of hatred or vengeance, but it's not purely hatred or vengeance. It's, it's a passion. It, it's a crime of passion. Um, but the thing that I noticed the most of, of the scene out of the scene in the study is that it comes, her shooting him comes after she touches his hand. And I, I freaking loved his reaction to it. Um, she touches his hand and then Kevin McCarthy stands up and, and kind of backs away. He winces and he kind of jumps back and it's almost like he, he fears old age. Um, he's been alive for over 2000 years and a single old woman touching him seems somewhat revolting to him. It's, it's kind of, um, uh, in a sense, it's him being confronted with, with his potential mortality, I, I think. Um, and it can also be seen as Walter being in denial about her age. Um, and maybe I'm reading into it here, but he didn't initially recognize her or at least he pretended not to know her. But considering the fact that he spent what could have been a lifetime with her or or a, a portion of a lifetime with her, and likely it it's likely that at that time he really did love her just as he loves Susanna now in the episode. When this elderly person uh, claiming to be the same woman who he only has memories of in her youth, and when she touches him, it triggers this response of revulsion and, and maybe resentment too. He could he could very well resent that she's aged while he can't. And this is where this is where maybe I I've given Walter Jameson a little bit of credit as a character. Um, cause he's, he's practiced at using people and leaving them. This is, he, like, that's, that's his, that's his MO. That's what he does. And it's out of necessity. But this scene with Lorette is him being confronted by that. And he's being confronted by the pain that he's caused people. And what I, what I enjoy about it, that's the reason why I'm able to give Walter Jameson so much credit is because when Sam comes to his aid after Walter's been shot, Walter's response is this really great, um, very distant sounding, um, assurance that, uh, he, he says to Sam that either way you'll be rid of me. I've come to my senses. So 
this is a callback to his remark about men never getting wiser um, and how they just go on living because it seems like that's the way that he says, either way you'll be rid of me is fantastic because he knows that he, I, I get the sense. Maybe he doesn't, maybe he's not a hundred percent sure if he will, if he is mortally wounded, but that says to me that he's saying that, okay, well either I'm about to die or, um, or I live and you're going to, you're going to be rid of me. Well, maybe he's, maybe he's referring to, maybe he didn't change, but my read on it is that if he doesn't, if he doesn't die, he's going to, he's, he's going, he's seen the error of his ways. He's going to dump Susanna and, um, and, and not steal her, not steal her life away from her to spend with someone who can't grow old with her. Um, that's where I feel like he says, I've come to my senses comes into play. And I, I, I just love that line because it says so much about his journey as a character through this short episode of the twilight zone. And of course the, I'll, I'll talk about the effects at the end, um, of the episode, but overall, I think that as, in terms of plot and story, I think that this tells a very, very strongly written story about a, a man, two men having a conversation and one man coming to terms with who he is as a person and the things that he's done to the people in his life, um, out of necessity and, and him kind of coming of age, um, and, and coming to some realizations about who he is. Um, so as far as performances in this episode, I, <laughs> obviously this, this episode is very much driven by Kevin McCarthy, Edgar Staley, and, uh, and Estelle Winwood. But I do want to point out that there's a scene that, I mean, this was uh, a few, after watching it a few times, I didn't notice this until I watched it a few times, but, um, there's a scene when, when Edgar Staley has, uh, tells Dodie Heath, or, playing Susanna uh to go upstairs after dinner so that he and uh he and Walter can talk. I didn't notice this but it's it's a really uh cute little thing that Dodie Heath does when Edgar Staley's back is turned to her. She sticks his she sticks her tongue out at him. And I have no way I have no way of knowing if this was scripted from the beginning, but it feels like it may have been kind of improvised. I again I don't know if that's if that's the case or not, but I thought it was funny and it, it felt really natural and I, I just, I enjoyed that. But yeah, I, I loved Edgar Staley's performance in this episode so much. Um, there's something in his voice like hesitation or this carefulness in his questioning, um, in his questioning of Walter that's mixed with this profound curiosity. And when he, when he all but begs Walter to give him the secret to immortality, like that, the combination of what he's doing in this episode is just, it's so fluid. Like he can, he goes from so many different, he weaves in and out of like different modes. Like he's, he's the concerned father. He's the, um, curious colleague. He's the, he's the old man faced with his mortality and it's just so fluid the way that he he uh navigates these different avenues of of his character and i i i just love the way that he that he performs this role so much um and of course kevin mccarthy 
just all around is is really great. He he really sells the charisma of of Walter Jameson. He's this he's this very he could have been a very um self-assured or cocky person or a very arrogant guy because, you know, he's 2000 years old. But he's so he's such an amiable guy or he's such a very he, he's such a um such a pleasant personality and you can kind of see how how Susanna would fall in love with him and Sam would be such great friends with him. And there's there's a line I want to say or a scene the scene I want to single out for Kevin McCarthy is that after he's been shot the way that he speaks it, you can tell that he's it, it's like it's like the character is straining and from my perspective it, it kind of felt like okay well he's clearly dying but it's it's kind of interesting when you think about it because knowing that he's about to start aging it's almost like the strain in his dialogue isn't him dying, it's him aging. And uh, it's it's just interesting because throughout the entire episode, McCarthy plays Jameson as this, has this kind of smooth, uh, somewhat gentle guy. And the distant way he speaks after he's been shot is like, it's almost like his brain is catching up with what's happening in his body. And I mean, it's, it, I mean, it could also, it, it could be construed as, or it could be interpreted as just, oh, he's in shock from being, from being shot. Um, but I think that there's a little bit more to it as his character is, his, his body is transforming, um, to him dying of, of old age, essentially, or dying of the gunshot wound and, and in a, in a new body, essentially. So, so I really liked that. And, Estelle, Estelle Winwood's performance is really great too. You can really, like, she's not in it a lot. She, obviously she kind of, um, pops up at the end, but when she gives her, um, monologue to Walter, it's like, you can, you can tell the hurt that she has in, in her, in the way that she reads it. It's, it's, it's really strong. Um, as far as the technical side of this, uh, of this episode, of course, I'm going to talk about the special effects of the aging of Walter Jameson. Um, they're, they're astounding. They're just fantastic. Um, according to trivia, it was achieved by applying red colored age makeup to McCarthy's face. And then what they did was they, they lit the set with red key lights, which disguised the age makeup. And as the scene progressed, the red key lights were gradually replaced with green lighting. And since that change, since it's, black and white film, um, that change wasn't, didn't register, um, in terms of lighting, but it made McCarthy's face appear to age spontaneously. And just like the way that they, the way that they captured it was really fantastic. Um, and it, it's such a, it's such a clever way to do it. I think it was used in a couple other, uh, movies, or I think one movie previous to this, I can't, I can't remember the name. I can't remember what movie, but, um, but yeah, there's a really good anecdote in, uh, in the commentary, Kevin McCarthy's commentary, where he talks about how he was talking to the makeup artist and they were talking, I wish I could remember what movie, but they, he, they were saying like, yeah, we did this in so-and-so movie and the guy was paid like $5,000 to do it. And then he's like, he says like, yeah, I'm all, uh, but for this, I'm all, I'm doing the exact same thing again, but I'm only making, uh, I can't remember how much he said, but it's, it was a significant, significant, uh, drop. I think like a couple hundred bucks or something like that. 
but the effect in the finished in the finished product or the finished uh shot of him transforming and then there's a cut back or there's a then there's a cut to Sam and then it cuts back to Walter in extremely aged makeup and that shot is so creepy and unsettling and it's disturbing and all of that is uh is compounded by the kind of depressing depressing feel of it as well and i thought that that alone that shot alone was just highly highly effective and then it's kind of punctuated by him getting up and falling to the ground and i just thought that was just such a wonderful way to bring it all home and and end the episode on it just really really fantastic i really appreciate the um effects that they used and and what they achieved back uh back in the 1960s. So as far as uh, cultural subtext or the theme or the messages of this episode, um, it tackles the subject of immortality the way that a lot of fiction seems to. Um, it's, it's kind of a warning about, you know, don't worry about living. Uh, don't worry about achieving immortality or it's it talks about the downside of of immortality and the lonely loneliness of immortality um and and that's kind of a common theme with these with these types of stories that i've seen at least but where twilight zone succeeds in it is it succeeds in depicting this story in such a such an uh, eloquent way without being overly dramatic or result or or uh or turning into different cliches or, or what have you. Uh, there's a message that's buried here. That's just simply a pretty simple message to, you know, cherish your life, enjoy your life as, as it is, you know, we're only here for so long. Um, but it, it's not hit over the audience's head and it kind of brushes against its different discussion points and different themes, but it leaves the audience to ponder the details of it. And, and it really brings for good discussion and dissection of it. And I think Walter, Walter talking about how he wishes he uh, would die and how he doesn't have the guts to do it felt really poignant for the character. And I, I kind of imagine that it would have resonated with uh, war vets when it aired and even people today dealing with uh, PTSD and, 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 uh, uh, other like mental mental issues that's just something that i thought of and on that on a similar note to that um this isn't stated or this isn't explored in the episode obviously but i was kind of left wondering if uh walter fought in the civil war and maybe other wars throughout his life seeking death um i think that that would have been an interesting angle to explore like this notion that he's he's living he, like he's immortal and he's kind of lucky that he's immortal but not impervious to 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 injury or mortal wounds um so i thought it would be it would have been an interesting angle to explore if he uh was uh, was seeking death in in an honorable way uh, but obviously this episode didn't have the screen time to devote to that. It wasn't the story that they were telling. And uh, obviously it would have to be another, uh, have to be expanded or, or something. 
as far as trivia for this episode, um, it's somewhat ironic that uh, Walter Jameson in this uh, episode mentions the date of September 11th when reading the journal. Um, because McCarthy, actually, uh, Kevin McCarthy died on September 11th, 2010. And uh, also, the episode... It, uh, according to trivia, it uh, it could have potentially inspired uh, a fellow Twilight Zone writer, Jerome Bixby, uh, to write a novel. Uh, he wrote a novel titled The Man from Earth, which is a story about a history professor who reveals to his friends that he is immortal. Um, although the tone and age and, and the tone and age and method of immortality and, um, Pretty much everything about the story, according to trivia, is uh, kind of different. But it's interesting to see that they still work in the same framework um, together, both this episode and that that novel. And it's worth mentioning that Jerome Bixby also uh, also wrote a similar themed episode of Star Trek: The Original Series. Um, in 1969, he wrote Requiem for Methuselah. Also, uh, kind of rounding out trivia, uh, actor Kevin McCarthy, he cited this performance. He would, he would, uh, cite this, this, the performance in this episode as seemingly having come true in his own life because he remained in good health and he continued to act, um, while outliving most of his family and colleagues. Um, and he, he, like I said, he died September 11, 2010. Uh, he was 96 years old and he had an acting credit as, as late as 2010. Um, which was obviously more than 50 years after this episode was produced. So that's kind of interesting. Okay. So we've come to my kind of closing thoughts on long live Walter Jameson. Um, overall, I really liked how this episode felt and how introspective and thought provoking it was. Um, much like, a lot of these Twilight Zone episodes are. Um, in Serling's opening narration, I neglected to mention this in, in the review, but in his opening narration, he says that it's, it's the opening scene is act one, scene one of a nightmare. But again, and I kind of feel like I'm nitpicking Serling's narrations and I don't mean to, but this doesn't really seem to play out as much of a nightmare. Uh, maybe it's the, the nightmare of being found out and, and, potentially not being able to, to, uh, be with the woman he loves. But, but instead it's, I think taking precedence over that more than anything is that this is an intellectual play about aging and the futility of pursuing immortality and, and, and the finite nature of the, of human life. And most of all, it, it just introduces us to an interesting and charismatic character in uh, Walter Jameson, and it does so. It does so without pitting him against the surreal or villainous or uh, or or some some weird thing that would have taken um, taken away from the story and, and the and the dialogue between them. Uh, we get really great insight into him and his history that's tied to the story unfolding. Um, and I just, I really respect that. I, I respect those narrative choices, those, those story beats in, in the way the episode was written. I really respect that. And I really enjoyed it. Um, and that will kind of, that will, that will conclude my, um, 
review of Long Live Walter Jameson. Um, and of course, before we move on to this week's bonus review, here's a highlight from episode 171 of The Obsessive Viewer, a weekly movie and TV podcast that I host with my friends Mike and Tiny over at obsessiveviewer.com. It, it's interesting because it kind of tackles it kind of tackles like a serious issue like how mm-hmm. how women were more integrated into the workforce as opposed to you know just being secretaries and waitresses and nurses you know mm-hmm. women are capable of far far more than that and right. it's it, it kind of pokes fun at how men reacted to that during mm-hmm. this time period um so it, it takes a serious thing and makes it makes it light makes light of it um so it's that's that's an interesting way into a workplace comedy is that you're taking something that's an actual problem or an issue and poking fun at it mm-hmm. uh, but it, it it does it respectfully you know what I mean it's not it doesn't turn it into uh, it, it doesn't make it a joke it's just funny of course you can find the obsessive viewer on iTunes stitcher Google Play and at obsessiveviewer.com and you can find the episode that you just heard a clip from at obsessiveviewer.com slash ov171. So this week's bonus review is episode 10 of the X-Files' sixth sixth season uh, titled Tithonus. And uh, I, don't, I still don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but that's neither here nor there. This episode was recommended to me by listener Greg. And I was really excited about it because, as I mentioned last week, this I I have not watched the X Files since I was a kid, so it was it was really it was really cool to jump in and see an episode, see an episode out of sequence because obviously it's it's all pretty episodic anyway. But um, it was really it was really cool to just kind of jump in and and it's it makes me want to go back and rewatch every bit of the X-Files. Um, so this episode is about a, a case that Scully gets um, assigned to um, outside of like she and Mulder are um, separated and she's assigned this case of a guy who is, who photographs death scenes and with some peculiar um, situations surrounding them. So She's assigned this task or she's assigned this case and she finds out that this, that this, um, photographer has some interesting X filey, um, traits about him. And, uh, I, obviously, obviously this episode deals with immortality. Otherwise I wouldn't be reviewing it alongside long live Walter Jameson. But the way that it deals with it is, is really cool. I, I really liked it. It's, got this uh it's got this ef- effect where where the photographer guy he is he sees death in characters and the way it's depicted on screen is that they're they're grayed out they're they are in black and white moments before they die so he's kind of like following these people around for a very interesting reason that I won't get into cuz I don't want to spoil it but um, the reveal at the end is, uh, or the reveal as to why he is, uh, he's pursuing these, or, he, or he's so connected to these people's deaths is very satisfying to me. Um, one thing that I noticed, um, almost immediately this, okay. So 
uh, Breaking Bad's obviously Breaking Bad's creator had a uh, showrunner, everything. Uh, Vince Gilligan was, uh, got, I think, I think it was that he got his start in the X-Files or, or that's how he learned how to run a show. Um, he started writing for the X-Files and then he became a producer and all that. This episode was actually written by him and I thought that it was kind of cool because I was, I was excited about that, but the way that it unfolded to me was that, um, if you're a fan of Breaking Bad, then, um, like the episode opens with, uh, everyone at the, at the FBI answering phones or calling for, uh, background checks and stuff. And there's like kind of a, uh, Mulder throws out the name like, uh, yeah, Mrs. Ehrmantrop. Um, and the, <laughs> like, I heard that and I was like, huh, that's interesting. Oh, I wonder if this episode was written by, uh, Vince Gilligan because obviously Mike in Breaking Bad has that same last name. Um, and it's a unique last name. So I, I kind of figured like, well, you know, maybe Vince Gilligan threw that in there and it made me wonder like how he got the name Mike Airman Trot. So I'm getting, I'm getting sidetracked and everything, but, uh, imagine my excitement when I saw that this was written by Vince Gilligan after, after trying to haphazardly put together, um, put that together after just hearing a throwaway name. Um, and the way that he wrote the story and the way that the story unfolds is really, really satisfying. Like I said, I really liked it. Um, there is this really nice um, procedural aspect to it that I wasn't really aware of the X-Files doing much of that, but I'm, I really, really liked it because um, it's kind of like a, like I said, it's a procedural. So it's like Scully and this other agent are working this case. Scully's checking in with, with, uh, with Mulder and Mulder's checking in on her. And it's just, it has this very nice flow and this nice feel to it, this kind of procedural feel to it. And I really, I really liked it. Um, and I, I, I like the idea of Scully and granted, I haven't seen the rest of the series, but I know enough about the characters. I know enough. I have enough memories of watching the show as a kid to know that Scully's the skeptical one and Mulder's the believer. And that, that's why they work together so well. But what I liked about this is that Scully is on her own. She doesn't have Mulder leading the charge and she's the one that's kind of, kind of being pulled into, into, into recognizing the case as an X-file. Um, and it's, it's, I like the way that it played out. And, uh, also this is kind of apropos and apropos and nothing, but, and I don't know, I don't know if this was something, I don't know. I don't know if it's really worth mentioning, but, uh, Scully was definitely giving off a very, uh, Clary Starling vibe to me in this episode. And, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, I can't say much more without going into spoilers, but I really, I really enjoyed the episode and thank you, Greg, for recommending it. And I'm really going to have to find time to go back and, and, uh, start, start the series from the beginning, from the beginning. Um, because I mean, it's, it's such an icon of television at this point. Um, and, and, there's so many, there's so much stuff to go through with it. So I'll have to check it out. Um, but of course I need to do that after I, um, <laughs> after I do my bonus reviews for black mirror. And, uh, I'm also in the middle of watching stranger things, which I really, really love. Um, but again, I just, I don't, I haven't had the time to watch it. So I'm only like three episodes in, but, um, I'm hoping to get that 
get caught up on that. So anyway, um, that will about do it for this week's episode of Anthology. Uh, thank you guys for listening once again. And once again, you can always email me your thoughts at matt at obsessiveviewer.com. Follow me on Twitter at obsessiveviewer. Um, you know, everywhere to find me. <laughs> uh, Facebook page at facebook.com slash anthologypod. Uh, just got a lot of new Facebook likes. So any new listeners, I appreciate it. And uh, thank you for listening and uh next week i will be reviewing episode 25 of the twilight zones first season people are alike all over and for the bonus review of that i'll be reviewing target earth a 1954 uh, sci-fi movie that is available in its entirety on youtube um so feel free to watch that before the next episode comes out um so having having said all that thank you guys again for listening and uh i'll see you guys next week thank you for listening to anthology presented by obsessiveviewer.com you can find more episodes at anthologypod.com and you can subscribe to the show on itunes google play stitcher or your preferred podcast app If you'd like to help support the podcast, please take a few minutes to leave a rating and a review on iTunes. The more reviews I get, the higher the show will be ranked in iTunes search results, making it easier for people to discover it and grow the podcast. Of course, you can always email me your thoughts and feelings about the show to matt at obsessiveviewer.com. You can also tweet me at obsessiveviewer, like the Facebook page at facebook.com slash anthologypod, or you can call and leave me a voicemail at 317 762 6099 for a chance to have it played on the show. If you like what you've heard here, I urge you to check out The Obsessive Viewer, a weekly movie and TV podcast I host with my friends Mike and Tiny. Also check out The Obsessive Viewer blog at obsessiveviewer.com where I write movie reviews, TV reviews, and the occasional editorial about the business of entertainment. If you want even more obsessive content in your life, subscribe to The Obsessive Viewer subreddit at r slash obsessiveviewer and check out obsessivebooknerd.com, our sister site for book reviews, author spotlights, and a general celebration of reading. Finally, if you're philosophically curious, check out my friend Tiny's side project podcast, The Secular Perspective, which explores the concepts of faith, religion, and existence from the perspective of secular hosts. You can find that at thesecularperspective.com. Once again, thank you very much for listening, and I'll see you next time.